Hi, I'm your host, Doug Berg, and welcome to Berg's Brain, a storytelling comedy show that will hopefully make you laugh, make you think, and make you want more. On this episode, I'll cover topics from pillowcases as Halloween candy collection devices, effective ways to deal with your kids when they start cursing, how the idiom you bet your ass has some severe ramifications, how the disparaging remark go fuck yourself may not necessarily be so negative, the surprising history and development of the word motherfucker, and many, many more. So jump aboard the train, get a little insane, get inside Berg's brain. This episode of Berg's Brain is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Philips, the makers of the number one brand, Milk of Magnesia, since 1873, that works with your body's natural process to relieve occasional constipation, providing cramp-free, gentle relief without harsh stimulants. Over the last six years, Philips Milk of Magnesia has been flying off the shelves, not due to COVID-related supply chain issues, but because so many of you have developed major cramping and stomach discomfort after listening and watching Trump and his band of scumbag, no-backbone, power-hungry, Pinocchio-nosed Republican Congress fucks, this brainwashed Make America Great MAGA cult spew nonstop bullshit and hate. To remedy this MAGA madness, the team at Philips is extremely excited to expand its number one constipation medicine and release its first product targeting the right-wing extremist Republican MAGA brain, Philips Milk of Amnesia. With the telltale signs of amnesia being difficulty remembering past events and learning new information, the team at Philips rushed this product through FDA approval faster than Trump eating a Big Mac, so these intentionally forgetful sons of bitches will remember important events such as the attempted fraudulent and calculated overturn of the unlawful 2020 election, the Capitol insurrection, and the illegal stealing, hoarding, and lying about possession of top-secret classified documents stored in the basement of all places, a fucking country club, where we can only hope and pray that a Mar-a-Lago golf pro was a former Pinkerton security mall cop. And with Philip's Milk of Amnesia's proven 99.9 success rate in bringing back the memories and learning capabilities of deranged right-wing extremists, The rest of us won't have to listen to the outlandish lies, divisive rhetoric, and total bullshit Trump and the scamnesiacs like McConnell, Graham, DeSantis, Rubio, Cruz, McCarthy, Abbott, Bannon, Hannity, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and basically any Republican in government, plus the ever-growing list of right-wing lunatics, including Giuliani, every Fox News host, anyone owning a semi-automatic gun, and testosterone-overloaded rednecks driving around in souped-up pickups with giant pictures of Trump and American flags waving away, billowing in the diesel exhaust. And for those groups that have completely lost their MAGA minds, like the Proud Boys, QAnon, the Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, Boogaloo Boys, Skinheads, Ku Klux Klaners, racist insurrectionist fucks walking around in hate-filled anti-Semitic logo t-shirts like Camp Auschwitz, an ever-so-playful reference to Nazi concentration camps, or 6MWE, which stands for Six Million Weren't Enough, the good people at Phillips are proud to announce the release of new extra-strength Milk of Amnesia for all you forgetful white supremacist assholes chock full of raging amnesia and struggling to remember and acknowledge past events like slavery or the Holocaust. So, if you're having difficulty remembering past events and learning new information, take a spoonful of new Phillips Milk of Amnesia regular or extra-strength and you'll instantly understand that climate change isn't a hoax. Learn that contrary to the NRA tagline that people kill people, guns kill people. And remember that Donald J. Trump was a scam artist, is a scam artist, and always will be a lying, manipulative, narcissistic, piece-of-shit, scumbucket asshole. Philip's Milk of Amnesia is not recommended or needed for anyone with a brain 
who tells the truth and considers abortion a woman's choice. Side effects for the rest of you magnesiacs may include realizing what other douchebags and fucks you all are, finding compassion, and understanding that science is actually a very real and proven concept. Philip's New Milk of Amnesia, available in original, fresh mint, wild cherry, and our newest flavor, cotton mouth, so the throats of MAGA Republicans dry up and close forever. Play us away, Peapod. Fortunately, I married a woman with no qualms about cursing. Now, I wouldn't say she has a proverbial sailor's mouth, because she's way the fuck beyond proverbial. She's Blackbeard, Long John Silver, Johnny Depp, and Captain fucking Ahab, all rolled into one seafaring son of a bitch. And she'll drop a shit, or a what the fuck, multiple times a day. And while she didn't grow up on a ranch or have any connection to rodeos, from what I understand, she sure has a thing for male cows. She'll let loose a, that's bullshit, this is such bullshit, and my favorite, what fucking bullshit with more frequency than a rodeo clown hurtling over a barrier before his or her ass is skewered. And the shits and fucks escalate to code red whenever Trump was or is on the news, as she's quick to play the what a motherfucking asshole card pretty much every time she sees his puffy orangutan orange face on the screen. See, because once the Donald opens his disgusting con man MAGA pie hole, and my lovely bride hears one syllable from his throaty, raspy, I'm Brenda Vaccaro for tampons ad voice, well, Katie bar the son of a bitch motherfucking piece of shit door as she's hurling more F-bombs than Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and all of their movies combined. So, my wife and I are very comfortable with, and at the appropriate time, swearing, cursing, or cussing. Now, it's not a wild free-for-all like at an F is for Family Bill Burr Christmas gathering or an Andrew Dice Clay first night of eight long fucking nights lighting the fucking menorah for fucking Hanukkah. Whoa! See, for the better half and me, if we were in court and the judge ruled against us in a case we thought we should have won, we'd accept the judge's ruling and go on our way. Let bygones be bygones. Now, later that day, we'd wait patiently in the parking lot, and as the judge neared his car, we'd respectfully approach and, with measured discretion, tell the son of a bitch to go fuck himself. Appropriate, right? And what's with the term, go fuck yourself? The definition of this imaginative idiom is a forceful expression of anger, dismissal, or contempt directed at someone. So, you're pissed at some asshole, yet tell him to go fuck himself. And doesn't it make you feel so damn good to tell someone to go fuck themselves as it's one of the most disparaging remarks ever? But let's take a step back, place the shoe on the other foot, and examine how it feels when a complete stranger tells you to go fuck yourself where you've pissed someone off by not giving the wave when being led into merge by another driver. Getting in the ten or less item expressly at a Safeway with a packed overflowing cart that looks like you're shopping for the week-long annual camping trip for the Western Regional Boy Scouts. Or... Walking, or more accurately, sauntering or strolling, but any way you cut it, you're moseying along at an agonizingly slow snail's pace, crossing a busy intersection as frustrated drivers stew, steam, and mutter under their breath, or on occasion shout out their window, Hey, meandering Marty! Go fuck yourself! And at first, 
you might be taken aback by such a nasty dig. But that's the complete opposite reaction you should have. Think about it. A person you don't know and never will know, out of anger and the unbeknown kindness of his or her heart, just told you to go fuck yourself. Now think about just what the insult is telling you to do. It's telling you to go fuck yourself, which is one of the nicest, sweetest, most thoughtful things anyone can say to you. So instead of anger, be thankful, be gracious, respond to a go fuck yourself with, what a great fucking idea. What a great fucking reminder. What a great fucking gift you just bestowed on me. Why the fuck haven't I been fucking myself all fucking day? Every fucking day of the fucking week, fucking month, fucking year, fucking decade, and fucking millennial. Thank you, sir, for that lovely and thoughtful reminder. You're a fucking godsend. And by the way, where have you been my whole fucking life? I mean, what schmuck doesn't enjoy fucking himself? I mean, we occasionally do it, but not as often as we fucking should. Look at your daily Google Calendar or your to-do list, and you'll see time blocked out for calls, meetings, dentist appointments, oil changes, mani petties. But do any of us block out time to go fuck ourselves? No, we don't. At my company, they promote the benefit of giving every employee three full paid days off to volunteer in our communities. Nice perk, but I'd be a hell of a lot more motivated to stay with a company if HR mandated we use the 24 hours to go fuck ourselves. And what's nice about this inspirational and motivational idiom is that it's gender neutral. You can tell a woman to go fuck herself because women love fucking themselves too. Maybe not quite as much as men do, but it's probably a really good thing because if women enjoyed fucking themselves as much as men enjoy fucking themselves, nothing, and I mean Hogan's Heroes, Sergeant Schultz level, nothing would get done on planet Earth. Look, if women enjoyed fucking themselves as much as men enjoyed fucking themselves and we were aligned on this incredibly pleasurable activity, we'd be extinct faster than T-Rex and all his pals after the big fucking bang. Now back to swearing for a sec. When you have kids, you can go a few ways with swearing. Clean up your act and never swear, like that's going to fucking happen. Or try not to swear, but if you slip up, cover it up, push it under the rug. Or in modern parenting parlance, you distract and hopefully your kids don't catch on. Or you can be like my wife and I, just let it rip. Again, with a bit of discretion so your kids don't think mom and dad are, well, seafaring midshipmen of the Burr, Clay, Carlin, and Pryor clans. And sure, it can lead to an awkward moment or two, like when Bapa and Noni, our kids' nicknames for grandpa and grandma, told our five-year-old son Jacob at the Thanksgiving dinner to eat his sweet potatoes or he wouldn't get pumpkin pie. And Jacob told Bapa to kiss his ass and Noni to go F herself. And what made this youthful swearing even more inappropriate was that my wife and I couldn't keep from laughing our asses off as gravy shot out my nose and cranberry sauce projectile vomited from my wife's mouth all the way across the table splattering Bapa's white cardigan, creating a modern version of a Jackson Pollock masterpiece. And I'm a big fan of modern art and abstract expressionists like Pollock because his work is so relatable, like anyone could make one. You feel like any schmuck could emulate Pollock by getting liquored up, dancing around and splattering a canvas, just like when my wife's barfed cranberry sauce and my snot-rocketed gravy sprayed Papa's sweater looking nearly identical to Pollock's 1950 drip-period masterpiece, Autumn Rhythm, now worth a tidy 200 mil. At that price, you can bet your ass my wife and I are still pissed we took Papa's sweater to the dry cleaner as that one-hour martinizing bullshit cost us millions. And by the way, I've gambled for over 50 years on games like poker, blackjack, craps, and roulette, and not one single time was I ever given the option to keep playing after losing my shirt by offering 
to bet my ass. Picture yourself standing at a blackjack table in Vegas, pitching the pit boss with, Looks, yes, that's true, I'm out of chips, and I've taken and blown through 13 markers, and you've been kind enough to cut my $39 a night sweet that's not really so sweet, but I got a good feeling about my next hand, and if you let me play for collateral, I'll bet my ass. So, a blackjack dealer at Caesars, with the approving nod of the pit boss, takes your ass as a bet. And you sit comfortably on 20 while the dealer has 16, has to hit, and lo and behold, the son of a bitch turns over a 5 and a winning hand of 21. So, you bet your ass, and you lost your ass. And it's highly unlikely that in betting your ass, you fully thought through and grasped the consequences of losing the bet. And here it is. You lose, you give up your ass. And just what the fuck does losing your ass entail? No pun intended. Imagine you're escorted to the casino manager's office to begin discussing payment terms. Does he put your ass in the latest rendition of Channing Tatum's Magic Mike, where you perform sexy and daring dance routines, shaking your wagered ass, hoping to be crowned the real Magic Mike? Does he pimp you out for a night of debauchery at Las Vegas's hottest gay bars, like the Phoenix or the Garage? Does he use your ass as a human ottoman to kick up his feet on? Let's face it. None of these options are in any way appealing, as your ass is basically hung out to dry, except here, dry is code for dry cleaning, where a gay bear master named Martin martinizes your ass in a one-hour non-stop extra starch who needs Viagra sash. And if you're out of money, and you're gonna bet a body part, why bet your ass? Have you chosen your ass since the crevice between your cheeks reminds you of a slot machine that you used to be able to stick quarters in? Does the sight of your ass make you instantly think of the game craps? Do you associate your ass with the card game 21 and squeezing out a blackjack into the bowl? And in my situation, there's no fucking way a pit boss at the Bellagio is going to let me bet my ass because I got a back with a crack. Not a lot of collateral with my caboose. Now, I could see a pit boss letting J-Lo or the Kardashians bet their keisters with all the collateral stone into their fake fannies, but me, not a chance in hell. Anyway, Back to the matter of swearing in front of our kids. We felt it'd be hypocritical, so we never hit our swearing, never reprehended or punished our kids if their cursing was appropriate and, again, used with discretion. And in the Thanksgiving dinner example, having some older, musty-smelling, goofy nickname relatives threaten you with no dessert without finishing a plate of creamy, burnt orange, marshmallow-y, unappealing candied yams not too dissimilar in color from the Donald's puffy orangutan orange face... Well, we thought a kiss my ass, and F.U. pretty much nailed it. See, we felt it was better to be honest with our kids, not deny or deprive them of normal shit that some parents were super hardcore about, like watching TV and eating sugar. You can monitor it a bit, but you can't deny a kid TV and sugar. They're kids. Let them enjoy growing up, for Christ's sake. Because I'll tell you, anytime kids of parents who forbid basic human pleasures came over to our house for a play date or a sleepover... Jesus H, as in Hershey's Christ, they turned into goddamn coke fiends. You look over and little Lucy's neurotically pouring out pixie sticks, chopping it up with her library card and snorting lines like Tony Montana and Scarface as she's all hopped up on sugar, belting off the walls, belting out Teletubbies and Wiggles theme songs at a glass-breaking crescendo. And this candy thing reached its pinnacle when we briefly moved to Petaluma, where they had this amazing candy store downtown called Powell's. Every kind of candy in the world. The latest and greatest, like Starbursts or Sour Patch Kids, and all the oldies, like Lemonheads, Bottle Caps, Jawbreakers. And wasn't Jawbreakers an apt name and costly dentist visit? 
Pals was so into candy it had a row of theater seats in front of a giant TV screen playing Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory on a continuous loop. Now our kids, understanding they could have reasonable amounts of candy whenever they wanted, well, they'd load up a basket with a piece here, a few pieces there, maybe five to ten dollars of cavity-causing goodies. But when we had a playdate or sleepover with sugar-deprived Sally, or no TV Teddy, and took them to Pals, they'd load up a basket like they'd been in prison from birth and got released on Halloween night just in time for the virgin foray into trick-or-treating. And remember Halloween's back in the day when you got to that occasional bomb house that gave out full-size candy bars as opposed to the smaller fun-size ones made specifically for Halloween? And excuse me, but fun-size isn't really fun-size, is it? Fun-size would be at least full-size, or better yet, mega-size. Fun-size is like a full-size candy bar little person. And as I got older and no longer had the parents around for backup, I'd keep a few extra masks in my pillowcase, and upon finding the cool house handing out giant Hershey bars, I'd jam around the corner, throw on a new mask, jam back to get seconds, thirds, or more until the irritated candy-giving homeowner finally caught on and kindly asked me to stop bogarting all his candy and go fuck myself. Which, when you think about it, was a go-fuck-yourself spoken with appropriate discretion. And how about that pillowcase trick-or-treat sack? Halloween trick-or-treating starts off with a cute plastic Halloween pumpkin, then moves on to a creative, colorful, matching costume carry bag, and ultimately transitions to the tattered pillowcase, where there's basically no attempt at a costume or planning whatsoever. Minutes, maybe even seconds, before you're meeting the gang, you grab a pillowcase off a pillow, often stained, soiled, greasy, with all that adolescent pubescent gunk that's emitting from your gangly teenage body after you go, fuck yourself, and voila, you're ready for Halloween. Look, when you've progressed from cute plastic pumpkin all the way to tattered cum-stained pillowcase, maybe it's time to hang up your sheet and focus on more timely things like clearing up your acne, watching hair grow on your balls, or getting a driver's license. So... After a good 10-plus years of trick-or-treating, you turn in your costume, burn the disgusting pillowcase, and move on. But like those irritating online pop-up ads that keep coming back again and again, the Halloween costume returns a few years later when your company has its annual Halloween costume contest, or worse yet, your neighbors throw a goddamn Halloween costume party. And dressing up in costume is a major differentiator, a separator, a side-taking issue even more than red state versus blue state. See, you've got two distinct groups. Group 1 loves, and I mean fucking loves, dressing up and will do it at the drop of a hat. Hell, they'll put on a hat at the drop of a hat. And then there's Group 2, of which I'm a card-carrying member, and Group 2 fucking hates costume parties. And everybody clearly knows which group they're in. There's no question, no doubt, no dilly-dallying, no on-the-fence. If you're a Group 2 costume hater, you never open up a dress-up party invite and go, You know, usually I fucking hate costume parties, but this time I'm really looking forward to dressing up. That never fucking happens. And it's one thing to not like dressing up, but then the dresser-uppers always lay on that guilt trip with comments like, Oh, are we a little too vain for a costume? Or, Oh, you dressed up just like you do every day. What a stretch. Nice. And the only reasonable response to the dresser-uppers guilt trip is, Next time, why don't you dress up as a vagina or an asshole and go fuck yourself? So back to cursing in certain legitimate, appropriate times to do so. Besides when a dresser-upper douchebag makes snide remarks, how about when you're putting up some drywall, hammering in a nail and accidentally hit your thumb? Odds are you're going to let out a goddammit or a son of a bitch or more likely a fuck motherfucker motherfucker, 
which is hands down the correct response. Fudge, dang it, or mother cracker just doesn't cut it. Or how about when you walk by a counter and accidentally bang that part of your elbow commonly referred to as the funny bone? That instant eye-watering excruciating pain is immediately followed not by a belly laugh or a chuckle, but by the aforementioned fuck. And what the fuck kind of name is funny bone? I don't know anyone who finds it funny when they crash that body part into something. Banging your upper arm bone, known as the humerus, is in no way humorous. I mean, don't you think a far more appropriate name for this part of your elbow is the fuck that hurts like a bitch bone? And here's a few other times when a fuck or a motherfucker just feels so right. How about when chewing some food and accidentally biting your tongue? Like I really need the word accidentally, as what's the alternative? You do it intentionally? Or how about accidentally biting the inside of your cheek? And again, this would not be done intentionally unless you're a biter, which is a far less well-known subgroup of the cutters. And when an accidental tongue or inside cheek bite occurs, that irritating skin flap forms, and every time you chew after that, you snag the flapping fragment, reliving, eye-watering, intense pain all over again. On either of these accidental oral lacerations, the only appropriate response is fuck or motherfucker. A shit response isn't worthy, not even close. Plus, the SH sound in shit forces your tongue into a position that rubs the tendony skin flap against your teeth, causing more horrible fucking pain. Or how about waking up at night to pee, and so as not to wake your lovely wife, spouse, or partner, you don't turn on a light, and in the darkness, step barefoot on one of your kid's stray Legos. Again, gosh dang it just doesn't cut it as the perfectly positioned protruding petite plastic piece pierces your foot far more painfully than a podiatrist lancing one of those bony, bumpy bunions at the base of your big toe. And you know those bullshit spiritual retreats where people walk across hot coals to test their courage or faith? Have those firewalking wimps walk across a pile of strewn Legos, and they'll immediately find faith in God, as in God fucking damn it! Or how about when you're putting on a contact lens, and you don't notice a tiny piece of hair or a speck of dirt on your finger, and as soon as you place the contact in your eye, this fatal follicle or nefarious nugget digs into your eyeball like a shard of glass? Or how about when you're taking off your contacts, and you forgot that a few hours earlier you squeezed lemon juice onto your salmon, and the acidic residue burns your retina more intensely than staring straight into the sun? Again, dang, darn, or dang, nabbit just doesn't cut it. There's got to be some kind of angrily, loudly shouted, fuck, motherfucker, motherfucker. Now, an interesting oddball outlier in this mother of all curses is that you'd think a guy getting hit in the nuts would trigger a fuck, motherfucker, motherfucker trilogy, but you're in so much fucking pain and on the verge of passing the fuck out, you can't even muster up the strength to talk, let alone curse. And so intrigued by the term motherfucker, I looked up the origins and the meaning of this vulgar slang. The word motherfucker hasn't been around as long as you'd think, dating back to the late 19th century. Story goes that in an 1889 murder case in the town of Bremen, Texas, the defendant, Marshall Levy, shot the deceased J.M. Joyner after Mr. Joyner had had 31 whiskeys at Myatt's saloon by noon and proceeded to call Levy a son of a bitch, to which Levy replied, I'll kill any man who calls me a son of a bitch. I'm no son of a bitch and my mom's no bitch. Moments later... A witness to the shooting testified that the inebriated Joyner then called Levy a goddamn motherfucker, and Levy shot Joyner dead. Look, 31 whiskeys by noon could get anyone hopped up and angry enough to call someone a motherfucker. I mean, we've all seen our share of sauced homeless people, especially the ones that look as if they sucked down 31 shots of booze for breakfast, and you notice how they always appear angry, mad, yelling loudly at themselves, other people, and the world in general? 
Seems like all homeless alcoholics are angry drunks. Never seem to see those happy-go-lucky drunk homeless wandering around laughing, knee-slapping, or high-fiving. Look, clearly many homeless have mental illness, so I feel for them. But why are these guys so damn cranky? You got no job, so no annoying-as-shit alarm waking your ass up too early. And with no job, no asshole boss jumping down your neck for some stupid-ass spreadsheet. And in terms of the spreadsheet, the motherfucker who came up with that glorified grid should go fuck himself. I fucking hate when my boss asks me for a spreadsheet. If I've learned one thing toiling away at desk jobs for over four decades, I don't excel at Excel. And back to the angry homeless again. Why? Why such anger, such vitriol? You're not married, so no nagging spouse. Free meals served at the shelter, so no shopping or cooking. Passers-by handing you money to score more booze. Jesus fucking Christ, you ought to be smelling your ass off and whistling a happy motherfucking tune. So let's get back to J.M. Joyner's goddamn motherfucker insult. If this was indeed the first utterance of motherfucker, I can easily see how the shocked defendant, Mr. Levy, upon being called a motherfucker for the first time in history, could have easily snapped. If it would have been me on the end of that vulgar insult, I'd have probably killed the motherfucker too for calling me a motherfucker, especially if I'd never heard the term motherfucker before. To me, it's a real shame that Joyner was shot to death before he could tell someone how he came up with motherfucker. I had imagined it go something like this. Well, you see, I always hated my nagging mother, and that schmuck Levy has always been a thorn in my side, a real goddamn fucker. So after 31 shots of whiskey for breakfast, the two people I hated most joined together like peanut butter and chocolate in a Reese's cup, and the perfect word smacked me right across my brain like I was that Webster fella coming up with a new word for his dictionary, and there it was, plain as day. Motherfucker! And if you ever travel to Bremen, Texas, make sure and stop by the Tidwell Prairie Cemetery and see MJ's grave and tombstone with the epitaph, Here Lies MJ Joyner, a man who loved his whiskey, died by gunshot, and coined the word motherfucker. Now move forward 28 years to 1917, as that's the next time the use of the term motherfucker was recorded, when a United States soldier during the First World War called his draft board low-down motherfuckers. Couple points here. First, as with the prior defendant who shot and killed his victim after being called a motherfucker, I can relate to this angry soldier blasting the draft board as low-down motherfuckers as I'm not a fan of war and pretty much anyone sitting on a draft board is likely a piece-of-shit low-down motherfucker. Second, seems like the added term low-down the soldier threw in ahead of motherfuckers was a tad redundant, because if you're a motherfucker, low-down's pretty much a given. That's like watching the news and seeing another mass shooting where the police spokesperson at the scene describes the psychotic douchebag as a white male. Is there any other demographic for mass shooters? You say mass shooter, I'm thinking white male. Third, kind of amazing that the first time motherfucker was said was in 1889 and the next time was in 1917. So 28 years passed between the first and second utterance of motherfucker. Nowadays, a trendy word like woke hits the culture and the entire world, unfortunately in the case of the dumbass word woke, knows about it in seconds. But the word motherfucker? Well, this beast of a curse were toiled in anonymity for nearly three decades. Thank God motherfucker was tenacious, as once it caught on, it took off like a motherfucker. 
Now, in terms of meaning, motherfucker has two very different and distinct ones. The first one is a despicable or very unpleasant person or thing. A scoundrel, a villain, a weasel, a snake, as in, that motherfucker stole my car. The second meaning is a person or thing that is formidable, remarkable, impressive in some way. A term of admiration, as in, Joe's one badass motherfucker. Wow, what diversity, what breadth, with two meanings at such opposite ends of the spectrum. Kind of reminds me a bit of how another curse word, shit, while not nearly in the same class as the title holder motherfucker, also has the range to cover two distinct and extreme temperature conditions. You visit Palm Springs in August, it's hot as shit. Travel to Minneapolis in January, it's cold as shit. Someone ought to invent a shit thermometer with just two simple temperature readings. At the top, hot as shit, and at the bottom, cold as shit. Who needs all those lame-ass middle-of-the-road temperature readings like cool, mild, warm, balmy? Shit's one motherfucking amazing substance. Might even have more power than kryptonite. And on the cold side of things, you ever go out on a freezing day and one of your buddies says, it's colder than a witch's tit. How do we know the body temperature of a witch's breast? Who figured that out? Did some perverted weatherman try to cop a feel on a witch in Salem back in 1692 and get frostbite on his digits? And if so, hopefully he stopped with his hand, because if he's put his tongue on a nipple, it likely frozen stuck like those morons' tongue do while licking parking meters in Chicago in February. Just guessing that the idiots, and pretty certain these parking meter tonguing idiots are all men, who decide to lick a frozen parking meter in minus 13 degrees, have had the same number of whiskeys, or more likely Jägermeister or fireball shots, as our good friend and dead inventor of the term motherfucker, M.J. Joyner. And let's take a step back here. Pause a moment and consider the baseness, the audacity, the shocking nature of the word motherfucker. If you're called one, the person calling you that is saying either that you fucked your mother, or you fucked somebody else's mother because you're a motherfucker. And like the temperature extremes of shit being both hot and cold, being called a motherfucker can also be taken in two very different ways. If the person calling you a motherfucker is saying you fucked your mother, then it's bad, really fucking bad, as no one in their right mind wants to bang their mom. But if the person calling you a motherfucker is saying you fucked someone else's mother, as long as you're a teenager or in your early 20s and not a 63-year-old AARP member and the mom in question isn't in her late 80s, being called that kind of motherfucker is pretty fucking cool, as how many of us pubescent, acne-laden lads haven't pleasured ourselves to a Benjamin Braddock Mrs. Robinson fantasy? So this is literally what someone is saying to you, or you're saying to them, when they call you, or you call them, a motherfucker. Until I recently thought about it and completely grasped just what the term motherfucker was alleging, I hadn't fully comprehended what the fuck I'd been calling people, or what the fuck they'd been calling me for all these years. Motherfuck. And while the word motherfucker first appeared in the late 19th century in Texas, the concept's been around since the late 5th century BC. Does that wild and crazy Greek fella Oedipus ring a bell? Remember that poor bastard? Son of a bitch was the king of Thebes who unwittingly killed his father and married his mother. So, while J.M. Joyner may have uttered the first motherfucker here in America, Clearly, it was good old Oedipus who stakes the claim by a few thousand years as the world's first real motherfucker. And if you were alive back then, kicking around Athens in a toga, and you saw Oedipus jump into your chariot and take off, you could have honestly and accurately said, that motherfucker stole my car. 
And for some of those deviant, pubescent young Greek boys who thought the idea of banging a mom was sexy, those boys could have said, that Oedipus, he's one badass motherfucker. But folks, sleeping with your mom, or any family member for that matter, ain't gonna end well. It's just look at poor Oedipus and his mom once she found out he was her son. Poor woman hanged herself, and Oedipus, well, right after her suicide, the poor bastard seized two pins from his mom's dress and blinded himself. So, seems to me, the moral of this tragic Oedipus tale is, if you get the opportunity to marry your mom and thus be a motherfucker, pass. And it's much safer to simply just go fuck yourself. And while you'll incur far less emotional damage this way, there's still a strong possibility you could end up like Oedipus, because if you go fuck yourself out of the appropriate discretion, good chance you'll go blind too. And look, we've all gotten to the pain, frustration level, where the only viable word choice is motherfucker. But why is there no pain or frustration level that causes us to scream fatherfucker? Much better alliteration, FF fatherfucker. You know, come to think of it, there is one time when we ought to insert fatherfucker over motherfucker. Ought to use it for all those piece of shit Catholic priests seducing, banging, and fucking up young boys for the rest of their lives. Oh, now, now, little Jimmy. We're not going to say anything to anyone. It's our own little secret. And from now on, my boy, after I sodomize your peach fuzz of an arse, you can refer to me as fatherfucker. Uh, get your robe on quickly, skiddle the arse back to the choir, and don't forget to send little Petey back to see old, good old, good old fatherfucker. So, it's with this swearing and cursing background that I share this next story. Our son Jacob who you met earlier as the wise-ass that cursed out his grandparents, Bapa and Noni, at age five, is now a seven-year-old second grader. And we get a call from the principal that he's in trouble and we need to meet with her pronto. So my wife and I head over to the school, and the principal, Miss Devine, although she's anything but, brings us into her office where Jacob sits across the desk. He appears comfortable, calm, not the least bit afraid, or with an oh-shit-my-parents-are-here-I'm-screwed look, so it's hard to get a read on just what he did and why we need to get there pronto. Miss Devine motions for us to sit by Jacob, and she begins. Well, thank you for coming down. The reason I called you here is that Jacob did a very bad thing this morning. See, during recess, Jacob right smack dab on the playground for basically the whole school to hear. Well, he used the F word. So my wife, who's way better than me at any parenting shit which I'd say is a fairly accurate description of every parenting dynamic, at least one between a man and a woman, is mom's clearly more equipped than dear old dad. So my wife asks, when and why did he say the F word? I'm thinking that's a damn good question, but one I would have never thought to ask. Well, Jacob and his pals were playing basketball, Mr. Vine continued, and when Jacob missed a shot, he yelled the F word. So my wife paused, stared at Miss Devine for a slightly lengthy, uncomfortable time, turned to Jacob and asked, Is this true, Jacob? Without missing a beat, without hesitation, without remorse, he replied, Yeah, Mom, that's what happened. And my amazing wife, now in full district attorney cross-examined mode, followed with, And why did you do that? Well, Jacob says, I went in for an easy-as-hell layup, and the ball somehow rolled off the goddamn rim, so I yelled, Fuck! Well, that little triumvirate utterance riff of hell, goddamn, and fuck nearly caused Miss Devine to have a heart attack as she clutched her chest and said, Jacob, 
uttering H-E double hockey sticks, God's name in vain, and using the F word is absolutely unacceptable language. And here's where my lovely wife, who again possesses that crucial parenting gene that I and every other man lack, stepped in, turned to Jacob and said, So if I understand, you had a chippy, a bunny, a layup that you typically make eyes closed, hands tied behind your back, and you rimmed it out? Jacob dejectedly nodded yes. My wife smiled at her son, glanced over at Mr. Bynes and said, Kid Mr. Bunny and yelled, fuck. Way I see it, there's a proper time and place to yell, fuck, and missing an easy layup is absolutely one of them. Then she turned to George Jacob and continued, Not thrilled you missed an easy layup, but you got pissed at yourself, which illustrates incredible accountability and ownership. I am so proud of you, son. As they high-fived, stood, bumped chests, then sat back down. Now, I thought the high-five, bumping chest display, while passionate and engaging, might have been a tad in your face. But my lovely lioness protecting your cub wasn't finished as she turned to Miss Devine and said, So as long as our boy uses fuck, shit, cocksucker, son of a bitch, or motherfucker at appropriate times and with discretion, do me a favor, don't fucking call us again. As she leaned down, gave Jacob a big hug and said, as only a mom with that genetic maternal insight in sailor's mouth can say, Let's not miss any more fucking layups, okay, sweetie? To which Jacob replied, sounds like a great fucking plan, Mom, as they got up and left. Somewhat stunned, I watched them walk out of the office, sat there for a sec, then slowly turned back to Miss Devine's glare, burning a fiery hole into my soul. I swallowed uncomfortably, smiled sheepishly, clasped my hands together and said, Well, looks like we'll be making a substantial donation to this year's teacher and administration holiday fund. To which Miss Devine smiled in that matter-of-fact schoolmarm kind of way, said, Motherfucking right you are. Now get the fuck out of my office, Mr. Berg. I stood, backed away towards the door, and upon exiting said, You know, if there ever was an appropriate time to say motherfucking or get the fuck out, you nailed it, Miss Devine. And watching my son get in trouble that day, reminded me of a time when I got in a similar predicament at school. Like my son, I was a second grader in 1968 when our teacher, Miss Anish, announced one Friday morning that a foreign exchange student from Paris was joining our class. She introduced him to everyone, said his name was Pierre Dubois. Pierre stood, said, Hello, followed by how excited he was to be in an American school. His English was pretty good, speaking bits and pieces, but with a heavy French accent. Well, Pierre and I hit it off immediately, and I invited him to the movies on Saturday to see the new Disney classic Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Pierre loved the movie, and we stayed in the theater and watched it three more times that day. He couldn't get enough Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He kept saying the title over and over and over. So first thing Monday morning back at school, Pierre and I were sitting next to each other when I leaned over and told him how Miss Anish really liked starting off the class with students sharing what they did over the weekend. I suggested to him that he tell the class how much he loved the movie. Well, Pierre raised his hand and asked Miss Anish if he could tell the class what he did over the weekend. And she said, why, of course, Pierre, we'd love to hear. Merci. I mean, thank you, Miss Anish. On Saturday, Douglas invited me to La Cinema. Well, wasn't that nice and kind of you, Douglas, to include Pierre? I shrugged off the compliment and Miss Anish continued. And what movie did you see, Pierre? It was the new Disney movie, Pierre replied, starring that incredible Mr. Dick Van Dyke. I saw second only to Jerry Lewis in adoration by my countrymen. 
and these Mr. Dick Van Dyke invented this amazing flying car that drives by itself with all sorts of gadgets. And because of the unusual noise made by the engine, they called La Movie Shitty Shitty Bang Bang. Well, Pierre's pronunciation of Chitty Chitty, the Shitty Shitty, brought the house down as the class busted up laughing. Miss Anish did her best to get the class back in order when a confused Pierre said, What is so funny? Douglas told me to tell the whole class about seeing la movie Shitty Shitty Bang Bang and it would make you happy. Shit. Damn. Fuck. Loose lips sink ships, Pierre. Wasn't expecting that little surprise ending to the story, bringing yours truly into the tale. Miss Anish immediately glared at me, and you can bet this wasn't the first time I pulled a class prank, as she said, Thank you for sharing, Pierre. Just so you're aware, here in America, for words beginning with the letters C, H, we use the CH sound, not the SH sound. So the proper way to say the title of the film you saw over the weekend is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh la la, I am so sorry, Miss Anish. Douglas did not correct my pronunciation. In fact, he kept asking me to say it to all the kids in the neighborhood when we got home from the movie and night like in the class today, the children could not stop laughing. Now, why doesn't that surprise me in the least, Douglas? Continued Miss Anish as he gave me that all-too-familiar pointed finger roll-up motion like an umpire signaling a home run, visually communicating, follow me to the principal's office, now. So I trailed Miss Anish out the door, down the hallway, on another in a long series of perp walks to the principal's office without a word spoken, where she sat me down and walked in to see our principal, Svet Nankovich. Seriously, I'm not making this guy's name up. His name was Svet Nankovich. And in his name did one hell of a job of describing this Aryan beast. Svet was a scary son of a bitch who looked like a larger, more imposing, far more Nazi-ish, bald-headed Colonel Klink from Hogan's Heroes. Must have been 6'4", six, 6'5", six, had a thick German accent, lurched around with a bad limp using a thick wooden cane, and like Colonel Klink, the guy wore a goddamn monocle. You wear a monocle, you're either Batman's nemesis the Penguin or a fucking Nazi. Or in Svet's case, wearing a monocle and limping around on a cane, it was as if the two had morphed together in a bizarre Frankensteinian experiment. He was like the Penguin, only a couple feet taller, bald, and a goddamn Nazi. And this brawny bastard had this diabolical Dr. Seussian jingle that every boy in school knew all too well. You'll start stripping Svet the second you see Svet. And speaking of Colonel Clink, remember that show Hogan's Heroes back in the 60s? For those of you who never saw it, it was a comedy set in a prisoner of war camp called Stalag 13 in Nazi Germany during World War II with the brunt of the jokes making the Germans look like inept idiots and buffoons. See, Hogan and his band of crafty prisoners they used the camp as a base of operations for Allied espionage and sabotage against the Nazis, regularly breaking out to wreak havoc all over Germany by blowing up trains, ammunition factories, and helping defectors escape to America. So clearly, it wasn't the most realistic portrayal of a POW camp. And what made the show great was that each of the main POWs had a special skill, and one prisoner, Sergeant James Kinchlow, nicknamed Kinch, oversaw radio and telegraph communications, and he was also great at mimicking German officers on the radio or the phone. And Kinch happened to be the only one of the main characters who was black. And while you often had to suspend reality and just play along with the hijinks and humor of the show, 
One repeated gag that pushed the limits of believability was when Hogan and the gang, including Kinch, snuck out of camp to Dusseldorf, Berlin, or Munich, where Kinch, like the others, disguised himself by dressing as a German soldier, SS member, or just a plain old swastika-wearing Nazi. And oddly enough, not one time, not in one episode of 168 that aired over six seasons, did any German soldiers or regular citizens question Kinch's validity as a German, because if I have my history correct, don't think there were a lot of African-American Nazis hanging out in Germany during World War II. Just once, I would have loved to have seen SS Rube Major Hostetler or Dunstlag Sergeant Schultz question Kinch's Nazi loyalty, to which Kinch would have responded, Fuck yeah, I'm German. You know, from the southern, sunnier part of the hinterland, where we tan like motherfuckers. Now, you ain't questioning my loyalty to the Third Reich, is ya? Cause shit, I'm more German than German chocolate cake. How Hitler, motherfucker! But let's get back to the shitty, shitty bang-bang debacle in my principal office visit with sweat-inducing Svet. He hobbled around his desk, stood menacingly above me, and asked in that frightful German Nazi tone, Did you encourage Pierre to tell his story? I looked up, paused, and continuing to play the role of smart Alex, said, First off, I so enjoy coming to your office for our little chit-chats, or as Pierre would say, our little shit-chats. My attempt at levity clearly angered Svet as his face scrunched up in a knot, nearly shattering his monocle. And then I continued and did my best Hogan's Heroes character Shards and Schultz impression, saying, In terms of Pierre and Shitty Shitty Bang Bang, I know nothing! This second attempt at humor caused the large purple veins running across Svet's bald forehead to rapidly pulse and expand, squeezing his monocle so tight the glass on his eyepiece shattered in a spider web pattern like your car windshield getting hit with a small rock shot on the back tires of an 18-wheeler. Shrouded by this giant dark shadow and without further discussion, negotiation, or chance for a learning moment, Svetch reached into his pocket, grabbed a replacement monocle, and what psycho carries a backup monocle for fuck's sake. He painstakingly positioned the new monocle just at the right angle. Next, the inevitable, as Svet grabbed his large wooden paddle and with the phrase Svet's pet engraved in black, ordered me to bend over his desk and took the first round of three ass-stinging whacks on my naked bum. I still remember the sound of the paddle whoosh and the smack as it stuck my youthful bottom. After the third painful whack, I looked back and saw that the paddling had caused Svet to sweat. There was sweat all over Svet. Nazi dude was so worked up from swatting me that steam fogged up his monocle. With Svet's vision clouded, he reached into his pocket for a handkerchief to wipe off Mr. Monocle, and as he replaced his monocle and grabbed his paddle, I quickly pulled up my pants, jammed towards the door to escape the fastest cyclops, and avoid another barrage of Svet's swats, because I knew that the very next swat would feel far worse on my tender ass than hitting my thumb with a hammer, banging my funny bone, unintentionally biting my tongue or the inside of my cheek, stepping barefoot on a Lego, getting a tiny hair, a speck of dirt, or a spritz of lemon in my eye, and those fat swats would have caused me to let loose with the appropriate and with proper discretion expletives. Fuck! Motherfuck! Motherfucker! And if I'd just received three swats for instigating shitty, shitty bang-bang, I was going to get at least a hundred whacks after screaming out the holy trinity of fuck! Motherfuck! Motherfucker! Look, everyone's got their breaking point. For J.M. Joyner, it took 31 whiskeys for breakfast to call Mr. Levy a motherfucker. In my case, three bare-ass swats from Svet did the trick. Well, Svet stuck his monocle back in his twitching eye, grabbed his cane, his Svet's pet paddle, and as he slowly came around the desk towards me, I said, Well, looks like my family will be making a substantial donation to the principal holiday fund this year. 
Svet smiled menacingly, squinted through his monocle and said, Motherfucking right they are. Now get the fuck out of my office, Mr. Berg. And on my way out the door, I said, You know, Principal Nankovich, if there ever was an appropriate time to say motherfucking or get the fuck out, you nailed it, Svet. And as I slammed his door and jammed down the hall, I heard the diabolical half-penguin, half-Nazi's perfect rendition of Colonel Clink reprimanding Hogan. But instead of yelling, Hogan, he yelled, Douglas! Well, thanks for listening to Berg's Brain, and I hope you enjoyed the ride. With this ride getting a bit more blue, curse-filled, and I don't know, X-rated? While in past episodes I've thrown in a goddamn, a shit or a fuck were appropriate or for emphasis, this episode of Berg's Brain was kind of freeing, rather expansive for me at least, and pushing the envelope and using curse words and phrases as part of the overall story concept was, I don't know, kind of fun. I mean, when you're talking about the origins of the word motherfucker, you kind of got to use the word motherfucker. So if you feel hit or missed the mark delving deeper into a more adult X-rated version of the show, I'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to me at bergsbrainpod at gmail.com. As always, special thanks to my close friend, musical director, guitar legend, and BBQ master, Jet Peapod motherfucking Miller. And if you like Berg's Brain, please subscribe like a motherfucker. Share the shit out of it with your friends and check out our wank job of a website at bergsbrain.buzzprout.com. Peapod. How about playing this out on your new number one hit in Ukraine? Hey, Putin, go fuck yourself. The bad kind of go fuck yourself. Thank you.